All right. Hey, everybody. My name is uh, Pastor John. Glad to be with you guys today. Pastor Jim is uh, gone. We're in the middle of this series, uh, Lace Him Up. And he asked me to come talk about how to have joy on the journey that we're on as we're lacing up and in this race. And, uh, you know, I would have had a lot, I would have had an opportunity to really model joy if he would have invited me to go with him on vacation. <clears throat> but uh, as always, he takes Anne. And, uh, and so I'm, I'm excited, though, to uh, be here to talk about joy with you guys um, today. Uh, do you guys know who Tim Tebow is? He's, uh, he's an athlete. He's a minor league baseball player currently. And a uh, really great guy. Loves the Lord. Is doing some amazing things, you know, in our world. Um, my boys and I have read some of his books. And really, really neat guy. And uh, this week he checked in to spring training. He plays for the Mets organization. And he had a press conference that was on ESPN. Do you know how many minor league baseball players get press conferences on ESPN when they check into spring training other than Tim Tebow? Zero. Zero. Yeah. The guy is awesome. In fact, Pastor Tannen has a bit of a man crush on Tim Tebow. <laughs> Loves the guy. Loves the guy. And in fact, uh, about a year ago, he, he got one of his dreams fulfilled. Tannen got to meet Tim Tebow. Real briefly, uh, Tim was speaking down at Grace College, and, uh, and uh, some of our staff was there. And uh, as, as the story goes, as Tim was walking by, uh, Pastor Tannen kind of reached out, pat him on the back, and said, Hi, Tim. And changed Tana's life. Amazing experience as he got to meet Tim Tebow. But here's the thing that's kind of crazy about Tim. Tim Tebow's best sport isn't even baseball, right? In college, his team won two national championships. He won a Heisman Trophy. And he was drafted in the first round as a football player. That's what's crazy about this. And he played in the NFL for a few years and, and then what did, didn't work out. And so he thought to himself, you know, I think I'm going to try professional baseball. That's quite a backup plan. I, I never had a backup plan like that. When I was in high school, I lost a job uh, because I was, uh, it was a seasonal job. And the summer was over. The season was over. So I, my backup plan, I became a dishwasher at another restaurant. That was my backup plan. I didn't think to myself, you know, I'm going to go for it. I'm going I'm to try playing professional baseball. That's not usually how we think on the days that we lose our jobs. But when you have an amazing talent like Tim uh, that's given from God, you can kind of do that. And uh, it would be awesome if he would make it to the big leagues this year. I am, I am so rooting for him to do that. That would be really, really cool. But when uncertainty comes into our lives, when something happens that we didn't quite plan or choose or want, um, which happens a lot, we can't just kind of roll out this perfectly crafted backup plan. That's not how life usually works. Not even for Tim Tebow. And here's what I'm getting to know about life, the older that I get, is that life is full of uncertainty. We kind of have a plan in our mind of how things are going to go, and it doesn't typically work out that way. Not even like for an evening. Not even for like, you know, the next hour. See, things don't usually go the way that you think that they will. In the last service, I'm talking about not being distracted by life's, you know, surprises that come at you. And here comes a little three-year-old kind of running around here in the auditorium. It was great. I didn't plan that, but it was a great illustration. We can't control the things that are going to happen. And life is full of uncertainty. But 
We want to live with joy this race that God has marked out for us. And so I want us to wrestle with a couple of questions here this morning, okay? I want you to ask yourself honestly some of these two questions. What do you do when your race is overcome with uncertainty? When the turbulence of life knocks you off your feet or sucks the wind out of you? What do you do? How do you and I run this race that God has marked out for us with not only perseverance, but also with joy? Because that is sort of the goal of life, is not just to survive, but to have some joy on the journey as well. Thankfully, the good news is that this, this Bible, the Word of God, is written mostly in a context of uncertainty, in an environment of uncertainty. This book is not filled with feel-good messages of a world that you and I don't live in. This, world, this book is not filled with stories that just kind of sound like a world that you and I can't relate to. When I read the Bible and I read the stories and the scriptures, I find myself relating pretty good to the characters. Sometimes they, they got it right, and oftentimes they got it wrong. And that's a lot like me. And I think that the scriptures do a pretty accurate job of describing life. And Joseph finds himself in a pit. And his brothers are doing rock, paper, scissors, trying to decide, are they going to kill him or just sell him as a slave? Not a great day. David wakes up, King David wakes up and to the rumor that his son is trying to uh, create a coup against him, threatening not only his life, but also his kingdom. Those are the kind of stories that the Bible is filled with. People facing uncertainty and discovering that God is not only not absent, but he is actually diligently working on their behalf in the lives of those that he loves. Here's the thing about the Bible. The Bible is a book about how very much God is in control and how very much we are not in control. The Bible describes that over and over as you read the story of God. And that is exactly why you and I are not going to like all the answers we find in the scriptures when it comes to uncertainty in our races. I wish that I, as I would read the pages of scripture that I would find the verses where if I just do these three things that my life will get back to normal and I'll be back in control. That's the verses I'd like to read. I, I'd like to read the verses where I don't have to fasten my seatbelt that, uh, that the turbulence will just go away. I, I don't want to be guided through it. I'd rather just go around it. Those are the scriptures I'm looking for. I'm looking for, for scriptures that will guarantee my safety, the end of terrorism, a cure for cancer, a booming economy, an NFL without the Cowboys, <laughs> and health for all of my friends and all of my family. Those are the verses that I wish I could read. That's the race that I want to read about, don't you? But as frustrating as that might be, the alternative is actually worse. The alternative is, is that actually I could just live in fear all the time. I could worry 
about everything. I could live in a constant state of panic and overreact to everything that comes. Or God tells us to do the opposite. He tells us to be joyful in the midst of hardship. So as we begin today, don't underestimate what God has to say about facing times of uncertainty. Don't underestimate as if he is writing the Bible in sort of this perfect world. Now God is writing right in the midst of the chaos and the uncertainty that you and I face. That's what he's writing to. Turn your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4. The best news that I can give you today is that the times of uncertainty that you are facing are not new to God. He's seen it before. If you need a Bible, raise your hand up high. Our ushers are coming forward. They'll they'll be glad to put one in your hand. That is our gift to you if you don't have one. If uh, you'd like to keep that, we'd love for you to have it. But if you just need it for today, then you can just borrow it. That's fine too. Philippians chapter 4, and and put your finger there. We're going to get there in a minute, okay? So don't read it yet, because before we start reading, we're going to stand and read in a moment. I want us to, I want to address three groups of people that are sitting here today in in our auditoriums or watching uh, online. I want to address these three groups of people. First, there's a group of people sitting here who simply need to be reminded to be joyful, Most of the time, you kind of have joy in the Lord, but for whatever reason, maybe lately or today, for whatever reason, something's going on where you've kind of lost that joy. And God wants to remind you today to find that joy again. Secondly, there's a group of people sitting here today where your lives are stuck. You need to be challenged today because you're kind of stuck in in a very negative and very self-focused, self-centered life that the Lord actually wants to challenge you to repent of that negativity and begin to find joy in the Lord. And then there's a third group of people that are listening today, and that is those who need to be encouraged. Not reminded, certainly not challenged, but to be encouraged. Perhaps 2018 or the beginning of 2019 has been a hard journey for you. Maybe you're in the stretch of a race where you are going through some difficulty, some hardships, some trials. I know that many of you are. And let me say to you that life has seasons where it really is okay to not be okay. Jesus was a man of sorrows, the scriptures tell us. He didn't have a happy perfect life every day and there will be seasons in your life and in my life where joy does not come naturally but let me encourage you today that your race is still under the sovereign hand of a loving and gracious God and let me remind you today that you are not at all forgotten by him And let me remind you today that you are not being just tossed around on an ocean of chance. But as the psalmist writes, your times are in his hands. Perhaps even today you will catch a glimpse of the joy that you can have even while in a dark time of hardship. Perhaps even today you are rounding the bend on this particular treacherous stretch And you are coming into a new season where joy may come easier. So be encouraged. 
Together, let's stand up and read Philippians chapter 4. Listen to these verses if you're one who needs to be reminded, or maybe you're one who needs to be challenged, or maybe you're one who needs to be encouraged. We're going to read verses 4 through 7 together of Philippians chapter 4. Let's read. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Thanks. You can have a seat. Paul is writing this letter to the church in Philippi that he had started several years prior. He is now 700 miles away. And Paul is actually writing this letter from a prison cell. Isn't that neat? He's writing from prison and he didn't do anything wrong. He was telling people about Jesus. And Paul even had a hardship on his way to prison. Paul was on a ship uh, setting sail to Rome that was shipwrecked. And everybody thought they were going to die. All the, all the jailers, the soldiers, all the other prisoners thought they were going to die. It is Paul that encourages them and kind of keeps things together. And even after the ship is torn apart on this rocky sea, he makes sure that everybody gets onto this island where they are safe. It's too bad that Jack and Rose from Titanic did not know what Paul knew. That two people can go on one piece of debris at once. Isn't that sad? But Paul gets everybody to Rome. And even when he's in Rome, he's in this prison cell. And being in Rome during this time when Paul lived is not a great thing for a Christian. The emperor who was alive then did some horrible things to Christians. He was the one who came up with the first reality show where he would put Christians into an arena and watch wild animals tear them apart for the simple entertainment and happiness and laughter of the crowd. This emperor was the one who would take Christians, followers of Jesus Christ, and dip them down into flammable liquid and then raise them up on posts and light them on fire to be the streetlights for the city of Rome. Paul is sitting in prison and he's about to find out at some point what his fate is going to be. Is he going to be released or is he going to be killed? And it is Paul who has every opportunity for anxiousness who writes these words. If there's anyone who ever had the reason to not have joy, it is Paul in this circumstance. But joy was the theme of this whole book of Philippians. In fact, through the four chapters of Philippians, he writes the word joy 19 times. 19 times. And uh, it, Paul says to these first century Christians and to us today, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. This isn't the only time the Bible speaks of joy. The theme of joy is throughout Scripture. 
In fact, the phrase, the joy of the Lord is our strength, is written 18 times, I'm sorry, 38 times throughout the scriptures. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Our God is a God of joy. In fact, Paul writes about joy. In Galatians chapter 5, he lists it as a fruit of the Spirit. When we are walking in the Spirit, we have joy. That is a natural mark of a Christian. And not kind of a fake smile, a fake happy, but no, an evidence of the Spirit in your life is that you have joy, even in the middle sometimes of hardship. Now, there are a lot of things that can steal our joy, but perhaps the three most common things are this. The three most common joy stealers in all of our lives are, number one, circumstances. Circumstances have a way of taking away our joy. And the reason is because that's usually what gives us joy as well. We usually say, like, I'm having a great day because something great's happening in our lives. But the flip side is also true. When then bad things happen in our lives, then we have no happiness. And so circumstances can be great joy stealers. Bad weather, you know. We wake up and the weather isn't what we were hoping it would be. That can get us in a bad mood for no reason. Bad traffic, the way a person's driving, can take away our joy in a moment. Uh, a down economy, we don't know how we're going to pay for things, for bills that we have, that takes away I can take away our joy. Poor health. We get a report from the doctor that we were not expecting. That can take away our joy. So circumstances have a way of stealing the joy um, from us that God intends us to have. Number two, the second most common joy stealer in our lives um, are other people. We allow other people to take away our joy Sometimes it's our ungrateful kids or we think they're ungrateful for all the good things we've done for them and that can just sort of make us a little upset or angry or frustrated with them. Sometimes if you're a student, maybe your teacher you think is just completely mean and, and uh, is just not treating you fairly and that can take away your joy. Perhaps you have a coach that doesn't play you as often as you think they should or doesn't run the defense you think they should and that can take away your joy. You get all bent out of shape and angry about that. Perhaps you have a boss you think is unreasonable that has expectations on you that just are, are impossible to meet and, and, and just incredibly frustrating to you and that takes away your joy. Perhaps you have a spouse that you think is very self-focused or selfish and, and, and just doesn't understand your needs and that can take away your joy. We allow other people to dictate our happiness pretty often. Circumstances, other people. And the third most common joy stealer is worry. Worry takes away our joy. It has a way of pressing us down. And perhaps it is the biggest thief of all. And the thing about worry is that it's an inside job, right? When it comes to steal our joy, it's from the inside because we're the one who's worrying. And it can affect our mental health. Worry can affect our physical health. It can be the greatest thief of all. When you think about those three common joy stealers, circumstances and other people and worry, do you know how they're all connected? Well, thanks for asking. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to answer. Here's how they are. Number one, circumstances. And number two, other people are things that are usually all the way, totally out of our control. 
We can't really control the weather. And we can't really control our boss. And we can't really control our kids. And we can't control our spouse. And we can't control our coach or our boss. And we can't control traffic. We can't control the economy. And we can't even control every part of our health. But circumstances and other people, while there are things that are out of our control, they often and typically lead us to number three, which is worry. See, we act like we do have control over those things, and that's why we worry about them. And that's when the joy of God, the joy that God means for us to have, is taken from us. In other words, let's say it this way. We let things that we have no control over start to control us. We let things that we, we can't control other people. I can't control what someone's going to say or what someone's going to do. But I let them control me and my level of joy. I can't control the circumstances of my lives, of my life, but I let it control me. Paul knew that that would happen to his friends the Holy Spirit knew what happened to you, and so he allowed him to write these verses here in Philippians. Take a look back with me at verses 4 and 5. It says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all, because the Lord is near. When you read these verses, he says to rejoice in the Lord always. And then he says to let your gentleness be evident to all. What does gentleness mean? have to do with worrying? What does gentleness have to do with joy? Let me ask you this question. When you are feeling anxious about things, how gentle do you treat the people around you? It's like he's saying, Paul, it's like he's saying to me, John, you know, or I could ask him, Paul, when I, when I come home from a long, hard day at work and, and I kind of want to rush my five-year-old to bed as quickly as possible so I can have some time to myself, are you saying that that's not really the gentle thing to do? When I want to kind of just zip through the bedtime story, I don't really want to have time to really spend time there because I want to, I'm kind of have my own thing I'm worried about or anxious about. And so maybe I just want to read the first and the last page of the book because she really doesn't know the story anyway. You know, like the story of Cinderella, like in the beginning, she's poor. In the end, she marries the prince and the king. I mean, isn't that enough for her to really notice? You have to know about the stepsisters and all that going on. Are you saying that that's not really gentle, Paul? You and I know that when we are anxious about things, we don't usually treat our spouses very gently. We don't usually treat our coworkers or our friends or our kids very gently. In fact, it's very small things can bring out the worst in us. So how can we be gentle? Paul says, the Lord is near. Underline that sentence in your Bible, the Lord is near. See, you don't have to live with fear or anxiety. You don't have to be out of control. You can be gentle because the Lord is near. You and I don't have to be sucked into the doom and gloom that the rest of the world is sucked into. We can live above that because the Lord is with us. We have the Lord. But most scholars will write that he's really not talking about the Lord being in proximity to us, although that's true that he is close to us. But the author Paul is writing about the Lord's return being near. He's saying, be gentle. Let your gentleness be evident to all because the Lord is returning soon. You don't have to be so upset. The Lord is returning soon. In other words, we can be gentle, not anxious, because we know how the end of the story goes. 
no matter what is happening right in front of us today, no matter what difficulties I'm facing at this moment, I know what the end of the story is. I don't know how I'm going to quite get there. I don't see kind of every page of the story written, but I know the eventual destination. And so I'm going to be okay no matter where this tent takes me. Does that make sense? I can be gentle in the midst of that because I have that peace. You and I have that peace, Paul says. The Lord is near. The Lord will return one day. Everything in our lives will be made right if we have the Lord. And he says in verse six, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Now it's really important you remember who said that. Don't be anxious about anything. It's not me, by the way. It's the author, Paul, who said that. I've said things like that. Oh, don't worry about it. Don't, don't worry about all that. It's not usually helpful when I say that to people. I've said it to my wife before. She, she didn't appreciate it. <laughs> if you think that is impossible to not be anxious about anything, hey, I, you know what? Go ahead and email me, msilliman at gc.church. I'd love to hear from you. <laughs> no, it wasn't me. It is Paul. It is the guy sitting in prison who's about to hear his fate that says, do not be anxious. See, here's what Paul had learned. He says to not be anxious, but instead to present your requests to God. Present your requests to God. Here's what Paul had learned over his years of following God, that joy comes when we hand off what we were never meant to hold on to. Joy comes into our lives when we hand back to God what we were never really designed to hold on to. The circumstances of our lives, the the trials of your life and my life and other people and their choices and the things they say or the things that other people do, we don't have any control over those things. In fact, you and I weren't designed to handle that kind of control. But the creator of the world, the one who authored everything into existence, is perfectly designed to wonder and concern, be concerned about all that stuff. He is the one who can handle it, not us. And so joy comes to our lives when we hand off to him what we were never meant to hold on to. All those things that tempt us to worry, to worry, to worry, we turn over to God. In what situations do we turn things over to God? Paul says, in every situation. He says, pray about everything. In every situation, by prayer and petition. What is prayer and petition? Petition is praying intensely. It's begging God to come through. It's not that kind of 30-second sort of, well, if he can help me, God, that'd be great. Not that kind of prayer, but when you have a real thing going on in your life, you can turn it over to God and give it to him and say, God, I don't know how this is going to turn out. And I'm going to stay with you here, Lord, until you give me what I need, until you come through for me, Lord. When you petition someone for something, you're desperate and you keep after it. You don't just stop halfway through. We petitioned the court for the adoption of our daughter, Emery, and it was something that we were going to see all the way through. We weren't stopping halfway And that's the picture of petitioning God. It's not something you start and stop, but you are seeing it through. You are saying, God, I need you to come through on my behalf. 
To present your request to God, the phrase literally means to reveal the mystery of your requests. To reveal the mystery of your request to God. And it's not that we need to inform him, but it's really to help us discover what it is that we're really after and to verbalize that to God. To discover what it is that's making you anxious and fearful. To dig that up. What is it that has me so worked up? What is it that has me so angry or so upset or so anxious or so sad or so fearful? What is it that has me feeling that way? And to talk to God about it, to give it to him. It's, it's saying this, Lord, if you don't come through on blank, then I'm afraid that blank will happen. That's what it is to present your request to God, is to hand off to him what you and I were never meant to hold on to. Now, I know what you are thinking. It's perhaps what I've been thinking at different times when I've read these verses. You're going to say, I've done that, John. I've, I have prayed about it. Nothing happened. I prayed about it and nothing changed. See, but that's not the promise of God. The promise of God is not that he will change everything in my life that I don't like. The promise of God is, that not, is not that he will make every single day in my life perfect. The promise of God is not that he will make everything fall into place so that I have the easiest possible life experience on earth. There are some that might teach that, but that's not what the scripture teaches. God is the author of our lives, and he actually thinks that when we have uncertainty in our lives, that there are things that we can learn better than when we don't have uncertainty in our lives. He actually thinks that trials and troubles and struggles and hardships in our lives, he actually thinks they're good for us. And somehow we have to believe that he knows better than we do. So if God doesn't promise to change every situation in my life that I don't like, what does Paul teach us that he promises? Look at verse 7. He says, The peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. He doesn't promise to take away every bad situation. He promises to give us peace. Peace that guards our hearts and our minds. It's not peace that we can just sort of muster up on our own. It's not peace that we can just come or get from having positive thoughts and just deciding ourselves that we're not going to worry. It's peace that comes when we present to God our requests. Those things that have us weighed down. When we give to God what he's meant to carry, this is peace that transcends, the scripture said here. It transcends. That means it surpasses all of our understanding. It surpasses anything that any man or woman could come up with on their own. It's a peace that we can't explain. It's when I'm still in the same situation that I was in yesterday, but today I have peace about it. That's the kind of peace that God offers. When everything around us is not better, it's still how it was yesterday, but somehow in the middle of it, I'm okay. Somehow in the middle of this tornado of life, I have found myself in the eye of the storm and things are calm inside. This is why we have peace when it doesn't make any sense. You see, sometimes God does answer our prayers and he does change our circumstances. Absolutely, that's why we can pray for that. But sometimes prayer isn't about changing things on the outside. Prayer is about being changed on the inside. 
Prayer isn't always about me asking God for things and he promises to change it the way want, I, I want him to. But sometimes I pray and I present my request to God so that he'll change the way I'm feeling about my circumstances. That he'll change my perspective on my circumstances. He'll change the way that I'm viewing my circumstances. It's not about always changing on the outside. Prayer is about changing me on the inside. And that's where the peace of God comes. And it's important to know that this peace comes from based on two incredible faith promises or faith facts. Number one, believing that God is in absolute control. And this peace comes when we believe that one day we will be in heaven with him and everything will be right. And what that means, when I believe and I have faith that God is in control of everything that happens in my life, and I believe that one day I'll be in heaven with him no matter what happens, listen, that means that everything that happens on this earth, nothing that happens under the sun, nothing that happens in my life can affect those two things. Nothing that happens to you this week, nothing that happens to me this year is going to change the fact that God is in control and that one day I'll be in heaven with him. You can't touch that. That's why Paul could say to Nero, you can put me in the arena. It doesn't change my eternal destiny. That's why he could say to live is Christ, to die is gain. If you put me in the arena, Nero, you'll just speed up my eternal destiny. Paul could say that with confidence. You and I can say, you know, I may lose my house here in Elkhart County, but Jesus is building a mansion in me for me in heaven. That's where you can say, I, I don't think I can live without this person that I just lost. I thought I could never live without them. But the truth is, the only person I could never live without is Jesus, and I can never lose him. See, that faith, that, that faith that, that, that God is in control of everything, and that one day I'll be in heaven with him, changes my perspective. It changes everything, and it allows me to have joy and be okay, even when I'm not really okay. Even when things aren't great in my life. Even if I'm the one who messes up and brings trouble on myself or my family, nothing can change the fact that I have a home in heaven with Jesus one day. And so for the next several months or weeks or years, I don't know, I may not like this life, but I know that eventually I know where I'm getting because of Jesus. Are you letting the joy stealers of circumstance or other people or worry control your life? Are you letting them limit the joy in your race? Are you letting things that you have no control over control you? Joy comes when we hand off what we were never meant to hold on to. Sometimes God answers our prayer by changing our circumstances, but sometimes prayer isn't about changing things on the outside. It's about God changing us on the inside. Let me give you some practical steps for gaining joy in your life as we wrap up here today. Some practical things that you can do for gaining more joy for the race that you're in. Number one, be singularly focused on the race that Christ has for you. Just become singularly focused, singularly driven on the race that God has marked out for you. In other words, don't get distracted by the stuff of this world. The less that we care about possessions, the less that we care about promotions, the less that we care about bank accounts, the more we can focus on things that last for eternity. 
And so be singularly focused on the race God's marked out for you. Don't worry about someone else's race, what God's asking them or not asking them to do. You just focus on yours. Either way, whether we live or whether we die, things are going to be okay. See, we tend to think of happiness as something that's passive, something that sort of happens to us. I'm happy if my circumstances kind of are okay or I'm sad if they're not, but we have more control than we realize over our joy. We can determine to run the race with joy despite our circumstances. Number two, be secure in your source of joy. And so if your circumstances are what make you happy, when, when, when you are thinking of things you're thankful for and it's all stuff, it's like, well, I'm thankful for, for this that happened or I'm thankful that God came through on this bill. I'm thankful for this son or I'm thankful for this friend or I'm thankful for this job. If the things that only bring us happiness are outside circumstances, then we will as quickly lose those outside circumstances and lose our joy. Be sure that your source of joy is in Jesus the only source that doesn't change. That's why Paul said, rejoice in the Lord. He didn't say just be happy. He said, rejoice in the Lord. The source of our joy is crucial and being singularly focused on living for Christ gives us a security that we can never have otherwise. That's why joy is a fruit of the Spirit. If I live in the Spirit, if I'm walking with Jesus in the Spirit, then joy is just gonna come out of my life. Is something that he does inside of us. I like what this one author wrote. He said, if Christ is in me and I am in him, that relationship is not a sometimes experience. The Christian is always in the Lord and the Lord is always in the Christian and that is always a reason for joy. Even if the Christian cannot rejoice in his circumstances, even if he finds himself in passing through pain, sorrow, or grief, he or she still can rejoice in Christ. We rejoice in the Lord, and since he never leaves us and never forsakes us, we can always rejoice. In simple terms, this means that the Christian life is not to be marked by negativity or a miserable attitude. We all have bad days, but the basic characteristic of a Christian personality is joy. And we should be the most joyous people in the world because of what Christ gives to us. That's why Paul cannot hesitate, doesn't hesitate to say, to command his readers, us, to rejoice. So rejoice. Remember, even on your worst days, you can have joy knowing the end of the story. Number three, <clears throat> learn to laugh a lot. I, I think that we get a lot more joy when we don't take everything so seriously that happens in our lives. Sometimes we're so serious, the things we write about on Facebook, on social media, the things that we just go off about to our friends or to our family, we take things a little bit too seriously at times. We need to learn to laugh. Do you know that Jesus was someone the Pharisees accused of being a drunk and of being the life of a party? He was accused of that. Do you think he got that reputation? Do you think they thought that he was that way because he was really serious all the time? Or do you think he might have been a person who had fun? I think that Jesus was somebody who had fun. He was someone that knew what it was to, 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 to kick back and to laugh. God gives us the gift of humor so that we cry less. Both are good, but both are needed. Number four, Maybe put some more margin in your life. And here's what I mean by that. Put some space in your life. It's really easy to lose your joy quickly when you just have so many things going on that if one thing sort of falls out of place, that it just wrecks everything else. 
and you just have a really quickly, you lose your cool. We need to put some space in our lives for when things come up that we didn't plan that we can still handle it. And we're like, okay. So maybe put some joy in your lives. And here's, this, here's, here's the, or some margin. And here's the craziest thing. Usually we're running around doing so many crazy things. It's stuff that doesn't even really fill us up with joy. So look for the things that really give you joy and make sure you, you put those in your life. Those things that God has wired you to refuel yourself. Number five, learn to genuinely be happy for others. One of the things that takes away our happiness quicker than anything else is when we hear something about someone else that we just wish happened to us. That we kind of have this sort of jealous, angry sort of spirit. We can't be happy for other people. I think if we try to purposefully be happy for others, that we will have more joy. Nothing steals joy like a jealous or a judgmental attitude. Enough said about that last weekend, but learn to be happy for others. Number six, make praise and worship an everyday part of your life. A great way to joy is to just remind yourself regularly of the truths of Scripture. And a great way to do that is to sing about them. And so you, you, you put that on in your radio, you, you put that on in your, in your headset, you put that on in your office or, or in your earbuds or whatever, and you just spend that day praising God and thinking about the joy that he gives you and you worship him, you praise him. Don't make that something you do just on Sundays. It pushes back the darkness and even the darkness of the grumpy attitude that we might have that day. And number seven, finally, pray about everything and hand off your requests to God. Hand off what you are not meant to control to. Control what you can. Change what you do have the power to change. But then the things that you can't control, hand those off to God. Allow him to be God in your life. What would happen if our church would explode with joy? What would happen in your workplace if you would start spreading the joy of the Lord instead of what you typically spread there? What would happen in, in, in your life if you were able to kind of cast off all the pressures of life that you can't control but you allow to simply weigh you down? What would happen if you and I were so focused on serving Christ that the temporary frustrations of this world wouldn't hold us back? Why don't we lace them up in 2019? Why don't we get in this race that God has called us and let's run it this year with joy? Lord Jesus, thank you for the opportunity that we have, Lord, to gain hope, to gain real comfort from you. Not the kind of false, sort of positive spirit, attitude that our world and culture talks about that comes and goes like nothing. God, thank you for the real lasting joy that comes in a relationship with you. Thank you for conquering death on the cross so that we don't have to be afraid of it. Thank you for conquering the enemy, God, so we don't have to be afraid of him. Thank you for winning the victory for our lives so that we can live out of that victory instead of trying to work for it. God, I pray that we would be believers who are marked by joy. That when people think of Grace Community Church, they think of people who have incredible joy for the Lord. God, I pray for those that are here today that need to be encouraged, that are struggling, Lord, because of life's difficulties that are facing them. I pray that you would give them a sincere, inner kind of joy, that peace, God, that transcends all understanding. I pray that you would walk with them faithfully and lovingly, as I know you will. 
In Jesus' name we pray all these things. Amen.